Amen. Well, we are working through a series, as you know, on the basics of the Christian life. All right, we're still working on our basics. Uh, we are on week four as we're going through this list. And this list is not something I just came up with uh, on my own. It's uh, just deriving it out of where we were in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We've got this list. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. This is one basic, the elementary doctrine of Christ. And go on to maturity, not laying in a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and obstruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So here's the list, Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2. And today we get to one that has always intrigued me. Every time I've read these verses, uh, this, this laying on of hands. I mean, it's, it's one that, that always jumps out to me. It's like, why is this on the list of basic doctrines. Now, the other ones just make sense for sure, right? It talks about the doctrine of Christ. Is that a basic? Do we need to know who Jesus is, what he did? Absolutely, we do. Uh, there's this uh, doctrine of repentance and faith. Do we, do we, is that a basic? Absolutely. That's how you become a Christian is repentance and faith, turning from sin and turning towards faith in God. Okay, well, this next one, this instruction about baptism. So we talked about that last week. Is that is that basic? Well, yeah, throughout the history of the church, the, the practice has been after you get, uh, get saved, you become a Christian, then the next step is to get baptized. So we've got to understand what that symbol means. Uh, and then we looked at, it, we will look at in the next two weeks, the, these, these ones about the afterlife, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. Those are clearly things that we need to know about. They're basics. So this fourth one, though, laying on of hands. I mean, what is that doing on the list? I do, over the course of my job and just kind of my, my life, I've read a lot of books on discipleship, books that are, are about, like, what are the basic things you need to teach new Christians? How do you, how do you move someone from being a, a new believer to a mature believer? None of them have a chapter on laying on of hands. Okay, it's not in anybody's basic discipleship curriculum. Um, you know, I went to seminary. I don't know if you know that. I did. I went to seminary. Uh, got a master's degree, uh, over 100 credit hours. Is my, is my degree program. I don't remember a lecture, a single lecture on the laying on of hands. Uh, maybe they thought it was too basic. I don't know. I mean, we have whole classes on the doctrine of Christ. Uh, so, so what is this? What is this doing on the list? I mean, it's got to be important, right? It's there. It's got to be important. Why is it there? Well, so after doing some study this week, some digging, uh, trying to survey all the mentions in the Bible of laying on of hands... Uh, I think I have an idea why this is on the list. And certainly have some things that I discovered as to what it means <clears throat> and what role it plays in our life as a church. So what we're going to do as we just go through it uh, this morning, what I want to say is, what, first of all, define it. What is it? And then go a little deeper. Well, what does it mean? And then lastly, kind of the biggest one is, how are we supposed to use it? Okay, so laying on of hands. What is it? What does it mean, and how are we supposed to use it? Okay. First one's really quick. What is laying on of hands? just want to define what it is. Uh, it's the putting a hand or hands on a person for a spiritual purpose. Putting a hand or hands on somebody for a spiritual purpose. So like the name says, you're laying your hands on a person. But I threw in that little uh, tag at the end for a spiritual purpose because like, if you get thrown out of a club and the bouncer lays hands on you to kick you out, that's, that's not what we're talking about. That, yes, he is laying hands on you. 
But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about putting your hands on someone for a spiritual purpose. And when we get to the third point, I'll give you some examples of what these purposes are. But just want to get the definition out there first. So there's, we already got one point done. Isn't that great? It's first point. Over. What is it? It's putting hands on someone for a spiritual purpose. Okay. What does it mean? What does it mean? This is where we have to dig a little bit more. Uh, I think what we have with the laying on of hands is another symbol. So we talked about symbols last week as we, as we looked at baptism. Um, and we saw, for example, with baptism that baptism in water, physically taking a person and putting them under the water and bringing them out, that's a symbol. It's an outward physical expression of something inward and invisible that's happened already. Okay, and with baptism, we saw that it was the, the inward reality is that when you become a Christian, you're baptized with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves into your life. You receive him once for all. And he does all sorts of wonderful things in your life. And, and baptism is the physical symbol that shows you that outward reality of what's happened invisibly and inwardly. And I think with laying on of hands, we've got another physical action, a tangible thing, putting a hand on another person. And it's a symbol. It's a, it's a physical outward example of something inward. Uh, that's happening, something invisible. So, and I'm going to defend this eventually, but for now I just got to take my definition on faith. I think what it's symbolizing is that this, this act of putting hands on another person is a physical symbol of imparting the Holy Spirit's power to another person. Okay, this, as you survey the uses of it throughout Scripture, trying to synthesize them together, I think what you see is that when you're, you're, you're putting your hands on another person for a spiritual purpose, it's a physical symbol of the invisible reality of the Holy Spirit's power being imparted to another person. Now, we've got to be really clear here. I'm not saying imparting the Holy Spirit to another person. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not saying that you put your hands on a person, and when you lay your hands on a person in an appropriate ceremony, then that person receives the Holy Spirit. Like they didn't have him before, and then you laid hands on them, and then they got him. Not saying that. Now, some people do say that. This is why I have to explain this. Some people do say this. Some people say that the laying on of hands is the way in which you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and this is based on a selective reading of a couple passages in Acts where this happens. Okay, so cards on the table. There's a couple passages in Acts where there's a people who don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And then the apostles come, or, or Paul the apostle is there, and they lay hands on them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are there. It's uh, Acts 8, Acts 19. You can look them up. Okay? But when you read the book of Acts, you see that there's a lot of different stuff that happens, right? So a couple times, someone prays on a person, they receive the Holy Spirit. Didn't have them before, then they got them. Uh, but there's other times, like Acts 10, we looked at last week, Peter is sharing the gospel with Cornelius and Gentiles. He's not even done sharing the gospel with them. And the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and the fellow believers there. Okay, no, no, no time to touch him. He's still, even, he's still sharing the gospel and they receive the Holy Spirit. So there's other instances like that, plenty of instances where people receive the Holy Spirit before having hands laid on them. And when you look at the teaching of the New Testament as a whole, you see that the clear teaching is that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe the gospel. Okay? So I've got the screen up here today because I'm going to, sometimes with these topical sermons, we have to jump around so much. I don't want you to spend all your time flipping pages. You can write down the references, look them up on your own. But the first one I want to point to you is Galatians 3.2. Okay? 
This is just to, just to nail it down here. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Galatians 3.2 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, this is a rhetorical question. It's one of those ones where he's expecting them to answer with the obvious answer, hearing with faith. Okay, he's saying, when did you receive the Spirit? Was it by doing all these things? No, that's not what happened with the Galatians. They received the Spirit when they heard the gospel and received it by faith. Okay? That's the normal pattern. That's how you receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. I don't want to spend too much time on that this week other than to lay this foundation. Because last week we talked about that. When you, receive, uh, when you believe the gospel, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life. He indwells you. And you have him then for the rest of your life. He's there. He does all sorts of things. He cleanses you from sin. He unites you to Christ. He makes you a part of the church. But that's not all he does. The Holy Spirit does come into your life when you believe in Jesus, and he is there for the rest of your life. But it's not like his work is finished then. He has a continual work. He's also got an ongoing, empowering work in the life of the believer. And this is what's symbolized, I believe, through the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is the symbol of this ongoing, empowering work of the Holy Spirit that happens over and over and over again in your life. Okay. But first, let's, let's look at the reality. So that's the symbol. What's the reality? Look, Ephesians 5, 18. You flip there if you want. We'll be there a little while. But here, here's the key verse. Ephesians 5, here's a command from Paul, okay, the Apostle Paul. And he says uh, to Christians... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, so what, is, what does be filled with the Spirit mean? Now, we know it doesn't mean you didn't have the Spirit, but now you do. Okay, we know that because he's talking to Christians who he's already mentioned a couple times earlier in this letter that they've been sealed with the Spirit. He's already said that. You've received the Spirit. So he's not telling them, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to receive him for the first time. No, it's not what he's saying. He's saying to Christians, you already have the Holy Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's it's a command. And and like all the other commands of the Christian life, it's the sort of thing that needs to happen over and over and over again. So actually, if you're in Ephesians, if you just flip back to Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 32, I don't have this one on the screen, but you, know, you just look back, for example, he, he, Paul's given a whole bunch of commands here in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another. Okay, now, we know how that works, right? We don't think, well, okay, that's like a command. So one time, I was kind to somebody, I fulfilled that command, and I'm done with it. No, it's, it's, it's be kind. Be kind all the time. You know, this is your lifestyle. This is how you're supposed to function day in and day out is by being kind to one another over and over again. Sometimes you are kind, sometimes you fail and you aren't kind, but you should be kind. Okay? This is a command like that. He says, be filled with the Spirit. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be like. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Not like, oh, I received the Spirit one time, so I'm done with that. But you're supposed to live a life that's characterized by being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes you are filled with the Spirit, sometimes you aren't filled with the Spirit, but you should be filled with the Spirit. Okay? This, is, this is the command. And we can see what it means, actually it's really helpful, by the contrast that he gives us with drunkenness. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, in some way, it's, it's comparative to being drunk. 
Yeah, so let's think about that. What are some things that, that happen when you, not you, but when people you know are drunk? Uh, what, what happens? Well, one of them is that you're under the influence of alcohol or you're under the influence of the spirit. It's just to be under the influence, right? That's how we talk, right, in our language. If you're, if you're drunk, you say you're under the influence. Or, you know, if you, if you say something uh, when you're drunk that you never would have said before, what do you say? Well, that's the alcohol talking. It's not you talking, it's the alcohol because you're under the influence of the alcohol. Um, so, so for, for folks, who, so, so alcohol, when, when, when you're drunk with wine, you're, you're influenced by it, right? You do things you wouldn't otherwise have done. Things that may have seemed like a bad idea, sober, seem like a great idea. And then you wake up in the morning, you think, what was I thinking? Well, you weren't, right? The alcohol was thinking. You were under the influence of the alcohol. So, so there's this way in which being filled with the Spirit is the positive opposite of that, Okay? You're under the influence of the Spirit. So things that you normally would think are, um, are, are good, these, these, these bad things that attract you, these temptations, right? And normally, in your power, you're like, I'm totally on board with that. But when you're filled with the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, it loses its attraction. Things that seem good now no longer do, and you do what is right and what is good instead of what was evil. Or, you know, just practically, maybe, maybe you have a critical tongue, a critical spirit. You're always criticizing folks. Okay? And, and, and you would, uh, in your flesh, naturally respond to a certain situation by lashing out at somebody, but when you're filled with the Spirit, you respond instead with being kind, being generous, being uh, kind-hearted. And, and that's not you. Right? It's the Spirit talking because you're under the influence of the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be under the influence of the Spirit. Right? That's part of it. But there's more, right? Because that's not just all that alcohol does. There's also a sense, a real sense, in which alcohol can empower you. Okay? It, it can empower you. Like, when you're drunk, uh, you might have the courage to try a new thing that you didn't try before. Okay? Like, you're, you're at a karaoke bar, and there's no way anybody is getting you to go up there and sing Don't Stop Believing." It's just not going to happen. You're not going to do it, right? Until you get a few drinks in you, and you've got the courage now to do something that you weren't going to do before. Or maybe you're normally a shy person. You don't talk to anybody, but you drink a little bit, and now everybody's your best friend. Okay, there's just nobody you've, you haven't met. It's just strangers I haven't met yet. You know, or friends I haven't met yet. No strangers, just friends I haven't met yet. Okay, because alcohol, in a very real sense, empowers you. Now, of course, of course, there's all sorts of downsides and negatives to that. But I'm just telling you, this is what happens. There's a, a way in which alcohol empowers you. Now, the spirit is the positive opposite of that, the positive complement of that, okay, without any of the downsides. The Holy Spirit empowers you. you just, just think about Peter. Remember the Apostle Peter, when Jesus was arrested... Peter had talked a big game, right? But when Jesus was arrested and Peter was out there in the courtyard and the little servant girl was like, aren't you with Jesus? Peter's swearing up and down, no way, no, because he doesn't want, he's afraid, right? He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. He see Jesus got arrested and he's just scared. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to admit that he's part of the disciples. So he denies three times calling down curses from heaven saying, if I'm lying, may God strike me down. I do not know the man. Okay. Two months later, same guy standing in Jerusalem in front of a crowd of thousands of Jews 
telling them, you crucified Jesus and you need to repent. Same guy, two months later. What's the difference? The difference is that he had the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was empowered and influenced. And you read the book of Acts, that's the whole point of the book, is that humans influenced and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit can do great things because God empowers and influences them to do it. So in our lives, when we're filled with the Spirit, um, it, it may be that you, by nature and design, are an overwhelming introvert, and you do not like to talk to people, but you see someone who's hurting, and clearly, and, and filled with the Spirit, you go to them, and you say, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And you listen to their story, and you talk to them, and you even comfort them, and share, you come out of your shell. Is that you? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit empowering you to do it. You might not have the courage. You, you may not have the courage in yourself to stand up at work or at school when people are doing things that are evil or just, just wrong. And you, just, you, you and yourself have not got the courage. But filled with the Spirit, submitting to the influence and power of the Spirit, you can stand up. You can, you can stand for what is right. You have that courage. Where did it come from? It came from the Spirit. You might not think you're qualified to teach children's church. Oh, I can't do that. Filled with the Spirit. Empowers the Spirit. You can do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Okay, and th- this is our life. This is, this is what the Christian life is supposed to be like. We, we were never meant to, to start it on our own, or to, for God to start it and then leave us on our own. Okay, it's not like God you know, wound us up and set us on the table and said, all right, have a great time. I gave you salvation, now it's on, up to you to live the rest of the Christian life. That's not how it works. Right? The, the Christian life begins by faith, and it continues by faith, moment by moment. Faith in the empowering and influencing work of the Spirit in your life. We are meant to be filled continually, over and over, moment by moment, day after day, to be filled by the Spirit. We always have Him. Okay? We all, it's not like you have the Spirit and then you lose Him. You, you have the Spirit, but are you filled with the Spirit? Now, this is, this is the reality. Okay, that's, that's the reality. That's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. This invisible reality of the Holy Spirit, like a wonderful version of alcohol, coming into your life, influencing you, empowering you, enabling you to live the Christian life, to be who God wants you to be. Now, I think this is, once we get that, this is where we begin to understand the role of laying on of hands. Okay? The reality of being filled with the Spirit, the symbol is the laying on of hands. Because as, as I look at the, the, the biblical data, and we'll go over this next together, and try to synthesize all the, the uses of laying on of hands, I think they all fall under this umbrella that says that laying on of hands is the symbolizing of, of asking God to impart his spirit's power into the life of another person. It, it's, it's the symbolic action of praying that God would fill the person whom you are putting your hands on, with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's look at those uh, together. There's, there's three big categories. There's three big categories in the New Testament for laying on of hands. Um, so we're in the, in the how should we use it part. And as we look at these categories, I, I want you to, to see kind of where I'm making my conclusions, first of all. Uh, and then also to see where we're doing this already as a church, we may not have called it explicitly. This is a laying on of hands. 
Okay, but it's, it's happened. It, just, it happened to me before I came up here. Did you notice? Okay. And, and then where can we do it uh, more and more? How can we make this more of a part of our everyday practice? So laying on of hands, how should we use it? Well, there's three big categories in the New Testament for laying on of hands. Uh, the first one is laying on of hands to commission people for service. All right. So our first, uh, first verse comes from Acts chapter 6. Uh, in Acts 6, there was a big problem in the church. You know, folks who, who think, all our problems we solved, we just went back to the original church. Let's just be a New Testament church. Well, guess what? New Testament church had big problems, just like every other church that's ever existed. Acts chapter 6, the church had been around just for a little bit, and all of a sudden we've got these accusations flying of racism and favoritism. There's certain widows who are Greek-speaking who aren't getting food uh, or as much food as they should be getting in the distribution of food that everybody's getting. And so there's all these problems threatening to blow up and explode this wonderful thing that's going on there. And so to solve this problem, uh, the people appointed seven men to be deacons, servants of the church, to have a specific job of overseeing the distribution of food and resolving this conflict. Now, in Acts 6, 6, after they picked this person, here's what happened. It says, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Uh, so, so these guys are being commissioned for service. Right? They're already Christians. They've already got the Holy Spirit. They're very godly men. But they're being called to a new task. A really tough task. A re- they're t- being called to resolve a church conflict. Uh, they're, they're being called to, to administer this program of, of distributing food to people who need it in, in the midst of these accusations of racism and favoritism. And this is toxic, right? Would you want that job? Could you do that job in your own strength? No, you can't. What do you need? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You better be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're going to go in wading into this problem of widows fighting over ethnic favoritism and, you know, I'm not getting the food that I deserve and that person chipped chip me. And my goodness, it's tough. So what do they do? They commission them for the task, saying, yes, you are godly men. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but you need the power of God to be with you in a special way as you wade into this difficult conflict. And so they pray for them, they put their hands on them, and they ask the, the Spirit to fill them for this task. Okay? You see this pattern happen in other times, too. In, in Acts 13, the, there's a church in the city of Antioch, and the people are there having a prayer meeting, and God speaks and says, send out Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. This is like a new thing, okay? A missionary. Set them apart to, set, to go to the, these lands, these frontier lands, and share the gospel. And so what do they do? After fasting and praying, they lay their hands on them and sent them off. So what do we, have? we have another commissioning, Right? There's a difficult task. They're being called to frontier missions work. And if you read Acts, you see how difficult it was. You know, Paul's getting stoned. They're getting you know, chased, oppressed by everywhere they go. This is very, very tough. Paul and Barnabas, clearly Christians, clearly have the Holy Spirit already. What do they get? They get a commissioning. They get a special prayer that God, in a special way, would fill them with the Spirit that they might be empowered for this difficult task ahead. So you see this pattern in the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's there a lot. And, and this is one, uh, one way that in churches even today you still see laying on of hands fairly often. Um, it happened here. Uh, when I was, uh, I guess we called it my commissioning service. Uh, Chuck Warren, whom some of you know, a regional superintendent for our denomination, was here. He preached that day. And then afterwards he, and I'm pretty sure the elders at that time, called me up and put their hands on me and prayed over me. 
Okay, that was a laying on of hands. Why? Because as a leader in the church, as a pastor, um, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, it's a tough task. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see the same sort of thing happen with missionaries. If you're sending out a missionary from your church, oftentimes the church will gather together, the elders at least will put their hands on the missionary before they leave and send them off, commission them, right? Okay, this is, this is what happens. Now, that's a good thing. I think that we should have more of it, right? There, there's nothing in Scripture that limits this sort of commissioning to pastors and missionaries. I think we should be really generous with this. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think that we, should, we, we may in the past have done this more with elders too. I think that every person who serves as an elder should have hands laid on them and pray for them because you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be an elder. But I think that we should be more generous than that even too. I, I think that if you're serving in the church, if, if you need the Holy Spirit to do the work that you're doing in the church, which is everybody, then you should be uh, commissioned. Why not? Like if you're if you're uh, if you're leading worship, or you're teaching Sunday school, you need the Holy Spirit for that. I mean, do you, do you, do you just want to do that in your own strength, or do you want the the power of the Holy Spirit filling you and indwelling you such that you are influenced and empowered by the Spirit to do that to the best, even beyond your ability? Absolutely, you do. So let's symbolize that. Let's just. It doesn't have to be anything big and formal like, "All right, time for the laying out of hands ceremony up at the church." No, let's just you know put your hand on the person, and and, and when you you know I'm just I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be great? If when someone like me asks you to serve in the church, like, hey, could you serve a nursery this week? If with that ask comes a hand on the shoulder and a prayer in the name of Jesus, Father, would you empower this person to serve in your strength in the nursery today? Do you want your nursery workers to be filled with the Spirit? I do. I, do. I, you, I need to be filled with the Spirit to work with little children. To have empowerment and influence and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, right? And not just for church work, but, but are there other things that you're doing in your life that, that you need the filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the work that you are doing? Right? Do, do you need the Holy Spirit's help to, uh, to start a Bible study at your office? Uh, do you need the Holy Spirit's help to go to your office? <laughs> right? Why, why don't we commission you for that? And you don't need me to do that. This is not like only pastors are allowed to lay hands on people. Let's call a friend over, a Christian friend or a couple friends, and just and say, hey, I'm having a hard time with this. I need your help. I need God's help. Could you just pray for me and put a hand on a shoulder or hold an, hold an elbow or you know, just touch that and pray for the Spirit's power to fill them to be able to empowered for service, right? This, this is a huge part of the Christian life. We need the Holy Spirit's power for service, and so to be commissioned, that's one of the big ways you see it used. Another one is laying on of hands is used to bless people, used to bless people. Um, it often goes along with laying on of hands. You see it uh, in the Old Testament. All the, all the patriarchs do it, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and, and so on. Um, let's go to the next one, Genesis 48 tells us about this one. This is when Jacob, also known as Israel, blesses Joseph's sons. It says, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph. And his sons. So putting his hands on them, it's laying hands on somebody's part of blessing. Uh, you see Jesus doing this also, Mark ten thirteen. 
through 16. Uh, let's see. You got that one up there? Mark 10? All right. Well, anyway, it's Jesus. Here we go. They're bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. All right, so a blessing. It's not, nothing super special. It's just you're praying uh, to God for the good of another person. Okay, simple. Just praying to God for the good of another person. Would you bless this person? Would you act well and kindly towards this person? So when, when J- uh, Jacob blessed Joseph, he prayed, may God multiply your offspring. Uh, we don't know what words Jesus said here, but surely he's praying for the good of these children. Um, that's a way, too, that we ask for God's Holy Spirit to be imparted to a person for his power to be in their lives, right? Uh, we're praying for their good. We're praying that God would be acting in their lives to bless, to strengthen, to do whatever needs to be done in their lives. Okay? Now, now, we do, to a degree, practice this every week when I give the benediction here. I learned that in my study this week. That the, you, did you ever notice I, I raised my hand for the benediction? Um, and I just do that because it's tradition. That's what, what's done. I didn't understand the roots of that. It actually comes from this practice of laying on of hands. That in a, in a smaller group... You know, there'd actually be a blessing of, of laying hands on the people. But in a larger group, where I can't lay hands on all of you, in pronouncing the benediction or blessing at the end of the service, I'm kind of a symbol of a symbol, raising my hands to symbolize that I'm laying my hand on you. Right? It's a blessing over you. Um, so we do that here. Uh, do that when we, when we dedicate babies, um, touching the children, uh, placing hands on them or on the parents to bless them and ask God's power for raising the kids. Um, Another way we do this and that we could expand more is actually during the greeting time. This is, this is where I, what I alluded to earlier where I said I, I received the laying of hands before I came up here this morning. I, was, uh, I asked Steve to, to pray for me that I would not cough and have the strength to, to talk. I haven't coughed yet, have I? That's awesome. Praise God. Um, so Steve just he put his hand on my shoulder. He prayed for me. Okay? A blessing. I would love for us to, see, to have more of that going on actually during that part of the service. I mean, I hope you realize how unique our greeting time is in the context of other church services. Uh, we, uh, you know, most people during the greeting time will stand there, they'll turn around, the person behind them, shake the hand, shake the hand of the person in front of them, and then we're done, right? That's greeting time. Okay, it's, it's not like the, uh, you know, 20-minute... Glad handing that goes on here, right? Uh, but but what we have with that, it is a special thing. It's a unique thing. Uh, what we have in that is we do have a unique time built into our service to actually implement this to bless one another, um, not just to catch up with one another. We have other times to catch up. Nine o'clock. We've got donuts even to catch up. You know, we can eat donuts and talk. Uh, we've got other times to catch up. But but that time here to greet and pray one another, it's really a time where we can connect with one another and 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 share something real that's going on and just. Even right there, pray a blessing on the other one. Put your hand on the person and just pray for them. I've had a hard week this week. Oh, let, Lord, I pray that you would bless them with a better week this week. Amen. And then you're done, right? Move. It doesn't have to be a major thing, but just you're really uh, investing in the lives of other people by putting your hands on them and praying for them. I mean, how, how cool would that be during this time to just to see one another, just this network of, I mean, more so when it's not cold season. But this network of us just, just turning one another, putting hands on a shoulder or on an arm or holding hands and just praying for one another, praying for others. You know, if that's going on, I'll gladly have that time be 20 minutes every week. I don't care. 
Okay, because that's real life. That's, that's real Christianity. Blessing one another. You can do this in your homes too, right? Like Jesus. Take the little kids in your arms. Put your hands on them and pray for your kids. Not just praying for your kids like they're asleep, you're in your room, you're praying for them. That's good. But what about, you know, tucking them in, putting your hand on their head, praying for them? Or your older kids when they're home, you know, even at a meal, holding hands together around the table, praying a blessing for them and their families. And there's all sorts of ways that you can do this. Husbands and wives, when you pray together, put a hand on one another, hold your hands. Symbolize the desire for the Holy Spirit's power to be filling the other person. This is what we see. So the two big things so far we've seen laying on hands is used in commissioning people for service. It's used for blessing people, praying for their good. There's the first one. Uh, But we also see the third one is it's used for healing. Laying on of hands is used to heal people. So in the, in the process of praying for healing, which you see happen a lot in the Bible, uh, you often see the people who are praying for healing at the same time put their hands on the person who's sick. So Jesus did this a lot. Here's one example, Luke 4.40. <clears throat> now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Uh, so this is, this is a... a a way in which Jesus commonly heals. And of course, you know, Jesus doesn't have to touch someone to heal them. Plenty of stories where he does it without. There's you know, the one where the, where the centurion even comes to him and, and, and he says, you don't even have to come home, just say the word and he'll be healed. Okay, and Jesus just marvels his faith, but yeah, he heals the guy. Long distance miracle, right? Just, just does it. So he doesn't have to touch him. It's not there's something magical with the touch. But he often does touch people as he's healing them. See this with the apostles. Paul does this too. Acts uh, 28, 8. This next one where Paul's on, on an island and somebody's sick and it says it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. Okay, so there's something about this. Uh, not every healing in the New Testament involves hands being placed on someone. Just like not every blessing involves hands or every commissioning involves hands. It doesn't, it's not always that, but it's many times that. Uh, and it makes sense, again, that you would put your hands on someone when praying for healing because you're asking for the Holy Spirit to fill that person for the power of the Holy Spirit to be imparted to that person specifically, in this case, his power for healing. Now, we, we do have to talk really candidly about this because obviously this has been abused. And probably most of the experiences you have of seeing someone lay hands on another for healing probably have, have been wrong. It's probably been faked or abused, I mean, especially the stuff that you see on TV of the, you know, you, bam, there you go, and they're healed, and it's just, you know, because you touched them with the hands. That stuff is, you know, it's wrong. It's not done rightly. It's, uh, it's faked. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. Um, so, so that's there, but just because something's used wrongly doesn't mean that it's wrong. Okay? Just because they did it wrong and faking it doesn't mean it's, it's not real, because when you look at Scripture, you see... <clears throat> That the Bible portrays miraculous healings. The Bible mentions a gift of healing. The Bible does tell us to pray for the sick, for healing. Okay? So it's there. There's at least the possibility for the miraculous healing to happen. 
God doesn't promise that it always happens. Like if you lay your hands just the right way, and you say just the right prayer, and you've got the right olive oil from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and you, you know, and so-and-so prayed for your handkerchief, and you touch the screen, and you send in your money, then you'll get healing. There's no promise. But God does say there's the possibility in that laying on of hands is a means by which we ask him for this blessing of healing to be active in the life of another person. So how do we do that? How should we do that? Well, we should lay our hands on people who are sick. And we should pray that God would heal them. Uh, if you're sick, and I'm not just, not just talking horrible stuff, right? I, mean, I, I asked Steve to pray that I wouldn't cough during the sermon, okay? That's, I mean, I think that falls under this rubric of praying for healing. Okay, but, but big stuff too, right? Strokes and cancer and, you know, chronic diseases and back pain. And, you know, we want God's help. I, mean, I don't think there's any place where we more consistently run up against our own limits as human beings to say, I can't do this in, than in the area of sickness. We're reminded all the time that we are not in control, that we cannot handle, that we need God's power. And so let's respond to that experience of weakness by pursuing God's strength and by asking him through the practice of laying out of hands and praying for the Holy Spirit to work powerfully and healingly in the lives of us and in others. Laying on of hands. So it's used for commissioning people for service. It's used for blessing people. It's used for healing people. <clears throat> because what it's doing is symbolizing the inward reality, the invisible reality of the Holy Spirit's power being conveyed and imparted to another person. Okay, so let's close this up and bring it back. Why is this on the list of basics? Why is this right in there with faith and baptism and eternal judgment? So here's, here's my best answer. I think if we're doing this, like if we're really following through on this and, and we're, we're laying hands on people every time we're commissioning for service. Right? Like, oh, serving the nursery? Let me pray for you. Working in the sound booth? Let me pray for you. Right? You lead in worship? Let me pray for you. Um, if we're doing that, if we're, if we're laying hands on one another to bless one another, so as we say, how was your week? That was pretty rotten. Let me pray for you. How was your week? It was great. Let's praise God for that. Uh, if we're praying for healing, like, I got a cough, would you pray for me? I just got a bad report from the doctor, would you pray for me? Right? If we're doing this, we are literally going to be laying our hands on one another all the time, right? I mean, this is life. <laughs> we need God's help for service, for blessing, for healing. Okay? So if we're doing that, we're going to be laying our hands on each other all the time. You're not going to be able to walk through this building without seeing somebody touching somebody else on the shoulder or on the arm and bowing in prayer. And what will that teach us? that will teach us that we cannot go a second in our lives without the empowerment and filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? There's nothing more basic than that. The only way that any of us can live the Christian life is through moment by moment faith and reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through. And so God gives us this symbol, this sign, to, to, to show us all the ways in which we need his help and to remind us that we cannot do it on our own. Right? That's why it's a basic. 
because the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is basic. It's foundational. We can't go without it. So as we look at the list so far, this, this is really helpful, right? What do, what do we need? We need to know that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. We need to, we need to repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus. We need to receive the Holy Spirit, which is symbolized by the act of baptism, and we need to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit, which is symbolized in a million ways by the laying on of hands. Let's pray, and then we can talk questions after that. Uh, Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for things like this that just force me to say, all right, I don't get this. I don't get this. This wasn't in my tradition. This is not what I understand in, in my everyday experience, but there's some truth here. There's some truth here in your word, and, and I need to figure it out, and I'm grateful for your Spirit's work in my life to help me see some of these truths this week, and I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, for this gift of laying on of hands. We need your help. We need your help every moment, every hour. We are sick and can't heal ourselves. Uh, we, you know, life is hard, and we need your help, your blessing. Um, we, we have things that we would love to do, that we would dream of doing, and we're weak and can't do it on our own. But you give us the strength. You give us the power. Father, would you create in us, um, in our church, a, a culture of reliance on the Spirit. And as we rest in you, that you empower us for wonderful, wonderful works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.